Welcome back to The Duck Stops Here, a podcast from the University of Oregon. Thomas Edison famously said, I have not failed. I have just found 10,000 ways that don't work. Today's guest knows a little something about success through failure. He's here to share what he's learned through some huge business blunders and how it paved the way to something better. I remember that day where I realized that the business was no longer going to continue. I lived and died through this business and my personality was attached to this business. My ego was attached to this business. And now all of a sudden in one day, it was gone. That was Chad Barzak, a serial entrepreneur investor, Eugene Local, and proud double duck. Some of his best investments have been in Eugene's immensely popular Level Up Arcade, a massively successful snowboard company that he started at 14, and IDX, a leading national provider of real estate search applications. Today, Chad shares what it was like flunking out of UO, and what he likes to call his adult gap year. He's being interviewed by Lisa Kalevi, Associate Director for Engagement at the University of Oregon. Chad, it's great to talk to you today. Likewise. A lot of your story starts with the simple desire to just snowboard. So I wondered if you could just tell me more about that. Um, so I grew up in, in Eugene, went to Roosevelt Middle School and South Eugene High School. And uh, freshman year, I basically started a wholesale snowboard business. So there weren't many shops around town. I think Berg's Ski Shop was the only one that basically carried any snowboards at all. And they were very expensive at the time, uh, way out of my league to pay for. So I figured I would I would try to make some phone calls. This is pre-internet, all this. I mean, this is 86, I think now. Um, so I had to make some phone calls and I said, hey, listen, I'm starting up a new shop, my location, I gave the school's address as the location and, uh, and everything, I mean, it was all legit. I mean, I was, <laughs> um, so I was signing up for, uh, to become a retail um, supplier for a new snowboard company. And uh, they were making boards out of Denver, Colorado, Rocky Mountain snowboards. And I remember um, talking to the guy and had to put on my deep voice and pretend I was not 14, but you know, 20 something. And uh, I'm sure I sounded absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Um, but anyway, I said, you know, how much is it to, um, you know, to get a snowboard wholesale? I figured out that, you know, uh, what wholesale meant, found out that it was basically half of what they were charging in a normal shop. And I figured if I was able to sell one board to somebody at the school, a friend of mine for full retail, that I would have enough to buy two snowboards at a wholesale. And therefore I would be able to get my own snowboard to then start snowboarding. And, uh, Sure enough, really quick, I found a person that was interested, gave me the money up front. Uh, company sent out two brand new snowboards, uh, COD, so cash on delivery, uh, had the money there. And all of a sudden I was in business and people found out about this and wanted to order more snowboards. And it literally snowballed from there and uh, had my first snowboard and it didn't cost me a cent. Learned a, a lot about you know, profit and loss and margins at a very, very early age. Uh, and that just, it just fueled my desire to learn more about business. And, you know, it seemed like a good way to make a little extra, extra cash as well. As an entrepreneur, do you think being an entrepreneur is something that can be taught or is there something innate about it? Is there something, a kind of a sense of, you know, if I think about it this way, I might be able to, you know, create a niche for myself or a business for myself. I mean, where, where is the balance lie between something that's innate and taught, if you know what I mean? 
I mean, I see the term entrepreneur as more of a mindset rather than a learned um, skill set. And so it's, it's, it's either organic with you or not. Now, you could be a great business person, and, but not necessarily be an entrepreneur the way I define it. I mean, entrepreneur is organic. I mean, it's just, and whether you're a successful entrepreneur or you failed multiple times, in fact, I feel like the more times you fail, the more successful an entrepreneur you'll ultimately be. Um, I was, I've always been kind of an entrepreneur, but ultimately I had some very, very large business failures because I didn't have the business skill set combined with the entrepreneurship passion. And so you do need both. <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah. And you, and you could be successful with one or the other, um, but it certainly helps to have both. And at the same time. <laughs> sure. And I mean, there's so many success stories that have come out of the Lundquist College of Business. And of course, in particular, the Center for Entrepreneurship. But something you just said is, is quite, quite important to, to really kind of um, internalize. And that is that Sometimes our greatest failures really are our greatest successes. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Certainly. Expanding on the um, the business I started when I was 14, I ultimately grew that into a business that I continued through high school and after high school. And so uh, I was involved with a, a new company here in town that was a retail shop called Board Sports. And so that was back in 90. And it was an old surf and, and sailboard shop. And I proposed uh, to bring in snowboards and in partnership with them and where they would buy the inventory, but I would manage it and do this new thing called snowboarding in the, in the 90s. And that was basically the growth path of the, the locker business all the way into board sports. And that was a very successful business. And that ultimately led into a company called um, Jaro, which was a clothing company. So we started manufacturing clothing for the snowboard industry. So went from locker to small retail shop to literally an international business um, selling wholesale to other retailers, um, snowboard clothing that was very unique back in the day. And so we did that from um, 90 to 94. And this is all by the time you graduated high school? Well, so then I graduated high school and then U of O was nice enough to let me in in 1990. And I was not very passionate about school. I was very passionate about business. And so this is kind of where I got a lot of my growth capital. And I would not suggest this to anyone listening here who's on financial aid. Um, but I basically took most of my financial aid money um, or all of it and, and invested it into my clothing business that I was starting to grow in, in 1991. And then that became slowly successful. I was working at the retail shop. I was probably working 40, 50 hours a week on this, as well as saying that I was going to school. However, school uh, quickly uh, went by the wayside. I stopped, stopped going to class, even though I was still registered. I was living in the dorms. And um, I think it was 91 or 92. I got a nice little letter, letter from the U of O asking me to leave because I literally flunked out of college. And so I'm like, I don't need school. Uh, I don't need these skill sets. Um, I know everything there is to know about everything. You know, because it was just dumb luck at the same time and being in, I mean, this was the very beginning of the snowboarding kind of revolution. And, um, you know, I was getting, I was flying to Japan. I was, you know, we had distributors in Europe. I mean, we were, it was a multi-million dollar business by the time I was 21. That's incredible. I mean, yeah, it's obviously a bit of a non-traditional trajectory and I'm trying to hold back my laughter as you're talking because I'm afraid <laughs> the financial aid counselors will be listening to this podcast finding it not as funny as I do but um, exactly <laughs> disclaimer don't do that <laughs> tell me about something that didn't work 
<laughs> there's a lot that didn't work. Ultimately, that failed because of my own arrogance. I didn't set up the entity correctly from a legal standpoint. I had a partner at the time, which happened to be um, a person I was dating. And so um, they always say, you know, don't go into a business with your friends. I don't necessarily agree with that because I, I've had successful businesses with people I considered friends. Um, however, in this case, if the relationship goes sour, um, particularly someone that you're living with and, and dating at the same time, um, and you don't have the right legal setup, it literally can destroy the whole business outside of any of the um, success on the financial statement. And um, so the relationships really do build uh, or kill a business. So in 1995, I mentioned, you know, we were a multi-million dollar business at the time. We had international sales. Um, it was, we had pre-orders. We basically, in the snowboard industry, you, you order like six months in advance. So we had a bunch of commitments for orders and we were going into production. Myself and my partner uh, decided it was no longer um, time for us to have a relationship. <laughs> And that ultimately uh, created um, conflict within the business. And we parted ways in a fairly aggressive manner. And the whole business um, failed as a result. It was an ugly, ugly situation. You know, people lost their jobs as a result. And, and I was just really inexperienced. And at the end of the day, you know, there was stuff I didn't agree with, with what my partner did as far as taking money out of a bank account. But at the same time, I did nothing to protect myself legally. Either either party that's a part of that joint checking account could go down and, and do whatever they want with that money, unless you have a contract that says otherwise. I remember that day where I realized that the business was no longer going to continue. I lived and died through this business, and my personality was attached to this business. My ego was attached to this business, and now all of a sudden, in one day, it was gone. And then I realized I'm 25 at the time, no formal education. Now I don't have a business. I never really took money out of the business as salary because I was always growing the business. Um, even though we were making a lot of money, we were growing and you know hundred percent each each year. So you needed that we needed to continue to reinvest in the company. Um, it took me about a year to recover. I literally, you know, I felt like a hermit. I was embarrassed. Um, I didn't know what to do. But then ultimately, I decided that I was going to not go back out into the business world without the skill set that I needed through education. So I had the entrepreneurial passion, but that only takes you so far. Uh, I needed to know what the heck I need, how, how to execute on that passion. And so that started a new trajectory. And that trajectory was one that took you back ultimately to finish your bachelor's of the UVO and then ultimately MBA, is that correct? That's correct, that's correct. Um, you know, and because I had failed out uh, in the early 90s, getting back to the UVO is a little bit of a challenge. It's not like, uh, um, you know, they automatically let you back in. So I went to the local community college, LCC, um, for a year or two. And I was literally working in a coffee shop to help pay for some credits. And I just spent my time really focusing on the learning. I, I, I got so much um, great information. I was passionate now about school and learning because I had some real world application to it. So all of a sudden math and, and statistics really meant a lot to me. And uh, you know, econ, and, and I was really into it. So I. I went to LCC and I was a straight A student and uh, taking, you know, 21 credits a term, going to summer school straight through. And so when I was ready to move to the U of O, I had to write a nice little letter. And then I, I sat on the Dean's doorstep um, asking in, in the, um, the admissions office. And it took multiple attempts to let have them let me back in. You know, I had to talk about my real world experience, why I flunked out in the first place, because they didn't let me in automatically. Uh, so I had a petition to be let in. And then I decided that um, I was just going to try to go as fast as I could 
straight through for my MBA. So I went uh, very non-traditional. So I graduated with my uh, bachelor's degree in 1998 and I got my MBA in 1999. <laughs> so That's it, something. It, wow. Yes. But it took me a total of 10 years <laughs> uh, to get that all. So really, I, and I'm sure our listeners greatly appreciate, you know, you sharing that story of essentially what was, it sounds like really the implosion of a business that was so, so tied to who you were as a person and your identity. Um, I mean, it's a marvelous case study. You know, I think it's extremely instructive to hear those kinds of stories, particularly for students who are maybe feeling a little bit of that, you know, self-confidence and, and, and sort of forgetting the basic stuff about having a legal armature in place and all of the other things that you made reference to. You know, one of the things I, I talk to people now about, you know, how do you build a successful business? You create a good foundation. You know, when you're starting up, everyone's excited. I don't care if you have one partner or 10 partners or, you know, 100 partners. Everyone's excited about the opportunity early on. As you begin to make more money, people change, they grow, they, they go on different trajectories. People's ideas change. And it's a lot harder to negotiate after you've already been going. It's easier to negotiate. It's like a, a prenup almost for, for a business, right? It's like, hey, you're, we're all excited about this and we all agree right now. Set it up that way. And say, hey, if if somebody wants to exit, what does that look like? Or say, you know, so I want to sell my shares. I'm no longer interested in working with you. What does that look like? And you run through all the worst case scenarios when you're all agreeable and before you start making money. <laughs> so that's startup 101 right there. I want to transition a bit. I know that you recently sold a business of yours um, called IDX. I know it had... Uh, a lot to do with the real estate market. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit more about how you came to found that business and its trajectory over the years. It's a, basically a private label search engine for in, independent uh, real estate agents, brokers, and, and offices. And so what we do is we take the multiple listing service data and we uh, basically run it through an app and a database, and then it allows people to kind of plug and play a customized search on whatever website they're they're operating. So. And because we were so early on, uh, we gained a lot of market share very, very quickly. Um, and because it was in real estate, um, you know, people are thinking, well, maybe, you know, what happened in 2008, 2009, uh, how'd you fare? And that was actually one of our few breakthrough years with IDX. Because the industry was so hard and to compete, people were going bankrupt, there's a lot of short sales, but they were used to traditional marketing. They were paying thousands of dollars for print ads or newspaper ads. Now, all of a sudden, our technology saved them money, drove them more leads, and, and cast a wider net for new buyers. And so we literally made our business in, in 2008 and 2009. After five and six years of, you know, of, of, of hustling in the startup mode, we, that was our breakout year. And then we, we grew the business pretty fast after that. We partnered with Main Street Corporation, which is a private equity firm out of, out of Texas in 2013. And then we ultimately sold um, the whole business in uh, 2020 in the middle of a pandemic, did it all uh, via Zoom, which is uh, pretty amazing. And, you know, when we sold, we were uh, about 80, 80 people and had a great office downtown, uh, remote workers. And uh, the business that acquired uh, IDX, I'm no longer personally involved, but a lot of our old team members are there and they're continuing to grow the business. So it's uh, fantastic to see. And I'm a, I'm a cheerleader on the sidelines now, hoping to see them continue to blow up. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, we wish them continued success. And I can't help but think about the fact that you owned it for 18 years. I mean, I know that you decided to take, I think you're at the tail end of it now, um, what I think you term as an adult gap year. And I just find that (laughs) fascinating. And I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about what that gap year has been like. I know you've spent some time in Costa Rica and Colombia and Chile, Argentina. Anyway, how did that come about? Sure. Well, uh, I uh, because I've been working as an entrepreneur really my entire life since I was fourteen, raised a kid and and it's just been busy. I've been you know just going going nonstop and working. It never really took time like a lot of people do between their high school and college years. If they you know I've never did the backpacking through Europe, and I'm a pretty active guy and I like to travel, and I realized that uh, when I when I sold my business uh, that instead of just jumping right into another venture. And, you know, and burn the candle at both ends and really driving to, um, to build a successful business that it was, it was time for a little break. And my, uh, I was going to be an empty nester. My kid was uh, going off to school. I turned 50 all in one year. And I realized that, you know, this is not a midlife crisis. This is a gap year opportunity. And, uh, and so I've really been enjoying the, the time away with, with uh, limited responsibilities um, after selling my business. And, uh, you know, there's still a lot to do once you close down a business, you're still involved and, um, you know, still active in a couple of other um, investments. Um, but for the most part, I can do whatever I want, wherever I want now. And it's it's very freeing when you're, even when you're 50 years old, um, you know, it's it's not the same as when you're taking a gap year when you're 18. So you have a few, few more resources, but you're also not quite as active. So it's like, there's a trade-off. Um, you know, it was, it, was, it was great. When we went to uh, Colombia, we went to Medellin, and one of the reasons we went to Medellin is we had recently sold one of our other businesses. It was called Odysseus, and that was out, out of Bend, Oregon, and uh, uh, we sold it to a company called CloudBeds. CloudBeds is a large uh, boutique uh, booking engine operator for hotels, and they have like 900 employees worldwide, and they were having a, a get-together in Medellin for their South American team. So they invited me along and I said, absolutely. And, you know, I'll just say, yes, yes. If they invite me to Columbia, I'm going to go to Columbia. And, uh, and so I had the, a chance to meet the culture of this business that we sold our business to. And it was fantastic. I was, I was like, it, it got my entrepreneurial juices flowing yet again. And so that was a big takeaway for me. I was very excited to be part of a, just, you know, just a stakeholder in this, in this young up and coming team. And they're, they're blowing up all over the world. So it's going to be a fun one to watch, watch for cloud beds um, moving forward. If you guys are in hospitality. Um, and then um, in Chile, I reconnected with my old college roommate and he had, he's actually originally, he's a winemaker from New Zealand and he moved to uh, Valparaiso, uh, Chile. And he started a hotel kind of based around uh, wine tasting. And I mean, he was never an entrepreneur. He was always a winemaker. And now all of a sudden hearing his story about how he uh, got the land uh, without being a citizen of Chile and built, he built a container hotel out of used containers and everything's recycled uh, bottles and, and containers. And it's an amazing entrepreneurial story to hear about. And I hadn't connected with him in 20 years. So I reconnected with him and um, now we're talking about other business ventures together. So it's, um, it's a fascinating story of, and to talk about you know resilience and, and entrepreneurship, he's been he's been through it. So it was fun to swap war stories with him in in his hotel. <laughs> oh, I bet. I mean, again, another great example of ducks doing amazing things out in the world, right? Absolutely. So cool. Well, and one of the things that maybe we haven't talked about, but in the founding of your snowboard business, I mean, you 
eventually became a competitive snowboarder, right? Yep, absolutely. So in Chile, it was uh, uh, winter down there. So it was my first experience in snowboarding uh, in the Southern Hemisphere. So that was that was fantastic. I've, it's always been it's been a long life uh, bucket list item for me to do that. I'll definitely be going back. I didn't get it as much time as I would have liked. The weather was terrible, and uh, you know I'd love to go back on a nice sunny powder day. <laughs> but um, you know snowboarding, I've been doing it pretty nonstop for the last thirty plus years, and uh, so I you know you know it might be a little slower these days. You know I'm no longer you know going through the um, the big jumps and stuff like that, but I really, and I've become a little more picky on the, the weather conditions, but I really, really enjoy it. So I get a, a lot of utility out of, out of doing that. And it, it really is my happy soul place, you know, no worries, it's pure Vita. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I think you said you're thinking now about where to put your energies as this gap year might wind down. What, what kinds of things are of interest to you from an entrepreneurial standpoint, or, you know, just with a businessman's eye towards what's the next step? Yeah, I'm looking at other passionate entrepreneurs. You know, now I'm I'm kind of on the more on the the mentor investor stage of of my career, and I I'm not really interested in trying to start a startup again. You know, that's that's very hard for the first three four years. You have to you know really figure out what your total addressable market is, whether you have a viable product. You have to do fundraising. You know, I'd like to kind of skip that step and find other passionate entrepreneurs in their twenties and uh, or any age really, anyone who's passionate about it but they've already kind of done that startup work. And then they're looking for someone with a little more experience to join them. And, uh, you know, at, at this point in my life, I'm probably never going to be a full-time CEO again, uh, but I'll be, you know, active investor, which I have done on uh, a number of other uh, successful and <laughs> failed businesses and, uh, and really kind of partner with other entrepreneurs. That's great. I'm sure that I'm sure after uh, this podcast, <laughs> drops, a lot of people will be excited to hear that. Yeah, feel free. We can post my my LinkedIn information and that's the best way to, to contact me. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll be sure to do that. So staying with LCB for a, a minute or so, given that it was a very formative part of your, your career, um, even though it was a sort of a non-traditional path to that MBA, ultimately, you've stayed pretty connected to the school uh, over the years. Um, you've been very generous in uh, founding a scholarship for Lundquist College of Business students, uh, which we, of course, thank you for. And I know you've been a member of the LCD Honors Admissions Committee. I'm just curious, you know, well, in terms of the scholarship, I'd love to know what inspired that giving. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I really have my mom to thank uh, for the, the uh, idea uh, behind the scholarship and then a very close family friend of ours. As, as I mentioned, you know, I got my work ethic from her. She, she was always hustling and making sure that we had, you know, food on the table. And she was also very passionate about education. She wanted to make sure that I had resources to go. And so um, through this close family friend, I was, I basically got a family scholarship that was not our immediate family, but my mom helped put that together. And, and uh, I was very fortunate in order to have the resources to go not only to undergraduate, but uh, graduate school at the U of O. Chad, tell me about the scholarship. What's it actually for? What kind of student is it supporting? Right. It'd be, you know, because I, I was lucky enough to have that in a family scholarship from the family friend, I wanted to make sure that others that didn't have that resource that were trying to get into uh, the business school, that we set up a specific scholarship for those that were truly in need. And, and it wasn't based on grades. It was based on entrepreneurship track, uh, entrepreneurial passion, 
and and actual resources. Like literally, if they if they weren't weren't able to get this scholarship, they couldn't go and become a successful student as well. So I love it. It sounds like a very you scholarship, right? I mean, you know, you, you <laughs> I think said as much that you weren't super strong with the grades, at least in right. the first pass at the U of O, and that there's a lot more to be considered in terms of what makes a good entrepreneur. And uh, I, I love the breadth of that scholarship, recognizing that there's a lot that goes into that equation. Um, yeah, back you. to sort of the, the caliber of U of O students that you're encountering as you think about, you know, who gets admitted to, you know, the honors program at LCB and as you um, make decisions around the scholarship recipients, can you give me any thoughts? What, what do you see in these students? Are they the same kinds of students that you went to school with? Are they wildly different, somewhere in between? It, it seems to me wildly different. I'll tell you some of the honors students that I had the privilege of meeting during some of those interviews were, um, it's incredible the amount of passion that these these kids have. And I say kids, they're young adults, right? So it's fascinating to see, and I'm excited uh, not only for the LCB, but U of O in general. The young adults coming out of there right now are really making us all look good. And so I've, I've been very, very impressed with the caliber of just the people I've met. And that's actually one of the reasons I really wanted my own son to go there. He started at OSU, but now he's, uh, you know, thankfully he's at the U of O and uh, he's going to be, you know, a duck for, he'll graduate as a duck, which I'm happy about. I was just going to ask you about (laughs) that. What's it like to see that now your son is sort of not following in your footsteps because I'm sure he's making his own path, but yeah, also now a duck as well. What's that like? Yeah. And, you know, and I think he, you know, he has a little sense of adventure. He wanted to get out from Eugene. You know, he lived here also his entire life as a result. And then ultimately he decided that, you know, um, he would, he really wanted to be here with at at the U of O and and this was more along his um, educational path and and he's taking a more technical route. I think, you know, he's, he's very uh, analytical. I'm not. And so uh, I think the U of O, particularly computer science, is, is a great program for, for him, you know, with maybe, um, you know, some business trickled in, some, some law. So I mean, you get all that at U of O. And, uh, and then he's, he's very comfortable in Eugene. He knows his way around. So it, it, it really works out well. And particularly coming out of the pandemic, I think, you know, from, uh, from my own perspective, it's, it's good to have him um, close to home. And I know a lot of parents have felt that way um, recently. And so, you know, maybe maybe he'll he'll explore out once he graduates. Chad, one thing that people might not know about you is that you are affiliated with the Level Up Arcade in Eugene, which I know is a very popular locale for lots of folks. <laughs> How'd you get involved with that? Yes. So about 10 years ago, myself and a couple of partners, uh, we were kind of hanging out. We were playing poker and we were um, really enjoying um, uh, reminiscing about uh, the old video game days. And a friend of ours at the time, he was refurbishing uh, video games. He decided that he would help us acquire some new games. And all of a sudden, uh, our garages became full of these arcade game projects. And we're like, we really need to turn this into a business. And uh, we found this great location on 13th and Oak, right off campus and right off downtown. And it was huge. It used to be a nightclub. We're like, there's no way we're going to be able to fill this. And all of a sudden, you know, we had 100 arcade games, 25 pinballs. And uh, we just decided that we love video games so much that all of Eugene probably uh, would as well. Huge risk. I had no restaurant or, or bar experience. And certainly nobody has built an arcade since the 80s around here. And so um, it seemed like a big financial risk at the time. Um, and it was something that we enjoyed, but we didn't know if the rest of uh, Eugene and, and the, the surrounding area would, would enjoy it. But that's also... Uh, sometimes you got to go with your gut as an entrepreneur. Um, 
and there was there was three of us that were partners in the thing and we all agreed and we were in it together and and uh it's turned out very successful and uh and thanks to the 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 locals that we have and and everybody that continues to come so thank you appreciate it i still love going and drinking a beer and playing pinball so <laughs> it's a great place to kind of relive your youth and, and get kind of some of that uh, shot of nostalgia for those of us who grew up in uh, yeah the absolutely so. absolutely well it's been just a pleasure talking with you and i'm really thrilled that your son is at the U of O now, that you are uh, winding up your gap year and thinking about, you know, what the next adventure looks like. And um, I don't know if you'd like to just end our conversation with any advice to some students who might be listening, who are, you've been sprinkling that advice throughout our conversation, but if there's anything you wanted to add, I know they'd love to hear it. For my entire life, when people say, well, it's just business, that drives me nuts. It's not just business. Business is about relationships. And so go out and build good relationships, build trust with your partners and be honest, ethical, and don't ever separate your business relationships from your personal relationships because they are intermixed and there is trust involved. And I, I see a lot of that sometimes. Um, that just, it drives me nuts. So uh, if I can leave you guys any, with any nugget, in order to be have a successful business ecosystem, you have to, you know, there's an element of trust as well. But also, just in case, always make sure that your legal docs are taken care of. Um, but just know that you know relationships build good businesses, and uh, and that's very important moving forward. So, solid advice, Chad. And it wasn't your only nugget. There were lots of them <laughs> in this wonderful conversation. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Go Ducks. Go Ducks. <laughs> Be sure to check out the show notes for links and information about how to stay in touch. Thanks for listening to The Duck Stops Here.